0: You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. guys, what's going on? Hope that you are having a fantastic week. Uh, We are continuing our subthread entitled Symbols. We've been walking through these uh, for the last month or so. It's been a lot of fun. If you haven't heard the previous messages, you can find those here on the podcast. Um, If you want to know what we're doing as a larger church body on the weekends, you can go to faithchapel.cc or find the faithchapel podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, It's been a lot of fun to to walk through this. Lots of content, um, lots of conversations around these topics. This week, We are talking about the symbol of the dove and a dove is used in a lot of different places in scripture Um, Noah's Ark, the dove is present He sends out a dove to go find um, somewhere to land to know if there's any land for them to um, Start living on again. The doves are used as sacrifices throughout the Old Testament Um, When the disciples are commissioned, Jesus says be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves Um, The dove is just used all throughout scripture But the dove is often thought of as a symbol that represents the Holy Spirit because of a very specific interaction that we're going to look at today. And if you don't know, um, we're, we're a part of a family of churches called Foursquare. And one of the four squares is uh baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And that is signified by a dove. And one of the things that that we believe intimately is that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and moving within the followers of Jesus, that the same Holy Spirit uh, that was with the disciples, that was with Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that, that we get to operate in today. And what I want to look at is the very beginning, of Jesus's ministry found in the gospel of Matthew, where we find ourselves is John the Baptist baptizing people in the Jordan river. And in Matthew chapter three, verse 11, it says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist speaking, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I, I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy spirit and with fire. John the Baptist is setting the stage. He knew that the Messiah was coming. And like many, he believed that the Messiah was going to come with might in power, so when he says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, that that can be really easily um, misconstrued as somebody who's just going to come like set the world on fire. But there is an element for the Jewish people that, as John the Baptist is speaking, they would have this picture in the in their head of a Messianic figure that doesn't really represent what Jesus ended up being, but represents what King David was—this military uh, leader, this this man who was going to come and he was going to overthrow Rome and was going to reestablish the nation of Israel. Because if you read throughout the Old Testament, it's completely understandable that that would be the image that they had. And while their expectations were high and their expectations were of something specific, their expectations were also very human because their expectations were limited to what they had already experienced. And they placed these these expectations on who the Messiah was going to be, and that Messiah was Jesus. And it doesn't mean that those expectations were unrealistic. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted wanted to. But Jesus chose not to come with that kind of anger and that kind of vindictive spirit, which we'll look at here in a little bit, but instead came in humility. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, we start to see the beginning of this humility because it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him but john tried to stop him saying i need to be baptized by you yet you come to me so the first point of this week is a surprising identification a surprising identification john recognized jesus he knew he was immediately he he said behold the messiah like that is this is something that they john knew jesus and he knew that he was the messiah and this goes back until the very beginning of the the gospels and specifically the gospel um, of Luke. And when Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist and Mary, the mother of Jesus see each other while they're pregnant, John leaps in her womb because he recognizes the Messiah. And now here we are 30 years later and Jesus and John the Baptist get to have this conversation. They get to have this interaction. And when Jesus asked him to baptize him, it was just not processing for John. He was like, wait, you want me to baptize you? You should be baptizing me. John's reaction is all of us, right? I think we would be very um, similar in that situation that we would be like, wait a second. No, you should be baptizing me. I, I don't think that I can do anything for you. Here's what's wild is that instead of identifying himself with the all-powerful God and the all-powerful God only, that that, that Jesus is like, I'm God incarnate, I am in him and human form, I'm going to come and I'm going to set the world on fire, I'm going to blow things up, I'm going to shake things up. He comes in a posture of humility. And instead of identifying with just God, he identifies with his people. That he steps in and identifies himself with his people. Remember, John's baptism was one of repentance, and Jesus had lived a sin-free life. What, what did he have to repent for? The answer is nothing. And yet he was identifying with our brokenness, and he was identifying with our need of repentance. He was stepping into the waters of baptism on our behalf, like he would do three years from then, stepping into the cross and taking a crucifixion that we deserved. In the Gospel of Matthew, this is the first time that we see Jesus post-manger. That Matthew is not interested at all. And really, we don't see very much of Jesus' life in the first 30 years. There's a couple mentions in the other Gospels. But in Matthew, it goes from manger to baptism. This is a 30-year span that we see. And, And the first image that we get of Jesus is Jesus placing himself on our level getting into the waters of baptism, identifying with us, identifying with his people. And that's compelling. That's a savior that, that we want to follow. That's a savior that, that we want to serve. Every good leader that I've ever had in my life lived by a similar principle. It is, I'm never going to ask someone to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. There's, there's plenty of examples of this. One, one man that I will always and forever be grateful for is Ron Todd. And he went to be with Jesus um a couple years ago, but um Ron was just the example of being someone who was never gonna ask you to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. And and one thing that stands out to me is we were to serve project years ago and we were at Zo Montana here in Billings and um we had hundreds and hundreds of people serving. It was like a massive church wide serve project. And there were lots of different things that needed to get done on the zoo grounds. And he said, Hey, one of the things that needs to get done is the duck pond is plugged and, um, it's just really backed up. It's really gross. We got to get to the bottom of the pond. Like physically, we have to get to the bottom of the pond. It wasn't super deep. It was like five feet deep. And we have to, um, unplug it and clean it out and get all of the junk out of there because it had been like that for a while. So there's like a bunch of buildup. And, um, he said, that's what I'm doing. And I would love if some people would do it with me. And it was amazing to see how many people just shot their hands up. They're like, I'll do that. If, if he would have presented that like, hey, this is the gross thing. This is the thing that nobody really wants to do. Who wants to do it? I don't know if anybody would have raised their hand. But because he said, this is what I'm doing. Who wants to do it with me? People were quick to serve in that capacity. And I loved that about Ron. And Jesus is the perfect example. And Jesus is the perfect leader that in everything that he did, he would never ask his, ask his disciples or ask us to do something that he would not do himself. When Jesus said, follow me, he didn't just mean like, hey, follow me from a distance and just like sort of walk the way in the direction that I'm walking. No, he said, hey, like get on my heels, walk my steps and do what I do. So I love baptism for for many different reasons. And we could get into the theological aspect and um, talk about why like we as a church believe in immersion and all of those different things. That's not what I'm going to do today. What I love is having a conversation with people when they say, why do we get baptized? On the most basic level, this is the answer. Because Jesus did. Because Jesus got baptized, that's why we get baptized. And I love being people who wants to do what Jesus did. We're gonna do it really imperfectly because we are super broken, but we can try to be as much like Jesus as we can. Throughout the Gospels, it's important that we understand that when Jesus says, follow me. It's not just something we do from a distance. The story goes on to say in verses 15 through 17, Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. Love that phrase. John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heaven suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove. And coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The next point is this a picture painted. All four Gospels talk about this moment of baptism. It was and is a big deal. The authors wanted their readers to know about this moment. The symbolism in this moment is absolutely necessary to point out. Jesus had come to save not just Israel, but all people. But the parallel with the story of Israel is amazing. When we think about Israel coming out of captivity, out of Exodus, and into freedom, we have to understand this is that Israel, Israel had to move through the waters of the Red Sea to get from captivity to freedom. And Jesus was immersed in the waters to set a path of freedom for all people. When the Spirit of God descends on Jesus, he descends as what? A dove. And there's our symbol, there's our imagery, and it is absolutely stunning. We we read this story and we all have this picture in our head of what this moment looks like. The dove represents the Holy Spirit, but it also represented some other things in that moment. One of my favorite uh, theologians is N.T. Wright. And he explains this moment as this. It says, Jesus came up from the water of baptism and received God's spirit, God's wind, God's breath, in a new way, declaring him to be God's son, Israel in person. The dove, though, which for a moment embodies this and symbolizes the spirit, indicates that the coming judgment will not be achieved through a warlike or vindictive spirit, but will mean the making of peace. Judgment itself is judged by this spirit, just as Jesus will at last take the judgment upon himself and make an end of it. That the dove descending on Jesus is the Spirit of God and dwelling upon him to, to, to send him and commission him into ministry. This, that's absolutely amazing. But the dove also represented peace. And this was an indication from God, the Spirit, and Jesus saying, Hey, what I'm coming in is not might and a vindictive, warlike spirit. I'm coming in peace to offer freedom for all people. The whole posture of Christ would be a shock to the system for the Jewish people. And it it should be a shock to us today. And I think that, that we have to understand that that Jesus was full of prizes and that that might just be one of the things that we fail to allow ourselves to understand. That, that we need to be people who are open to the surprises of Jesus, that are open to the methods of Jesus. Jesus was not and is not interested in playing by humanity's roles. Jesus is not, was not interested in playing by Our expectations, but he's only instead worried about doing it the way that God would call him to do it. He was being commissioned by God to do ministry in a very specific way. And that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And and it leads us into this next point. Three in one, three in one. This moment is incredible for so many different reasons, but one of the things that stands out to me is that in this moment, the Trinity is present. We have God speaking to his son while the spirit descends upon him, right? We have Jesus being baptized, the spirit falling on him and the father saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And he's being sent in and commissioned to these next three years of ministry before he dies a gruesome death on the cross for forgiveness of all sins. And he's being commissioned in a very specific way, in peace and humility. We don't want spend a ton of time here, but I just want to point out that as Jesus is being sent, that, that all three are being present, and that we need to understand that as we are being sent into our callings, as we are being sent into the world, into our relationships, into our friendships, into our vocations, that the same fact holds true for us, that we have access to the Trinity. We have access to through the Holy Spirit, to God the Father, and to Jesus. And we need to be people who walk in that power. I think oftentimes we, we recognize God the Father as being up there, distant, looking down on his people, Jesus being God incarnate on earth, setting the example, but not understanding that we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples at Pentecost and the same Spirit that empowered them then is the same Spirit that empowers us today. We can walk out in confidence that the Spirit is with us. And would we know that as we are stepping into our callings, as we are stepping into our ministries, as we are stepping into our vocations, we can know that God is saying, this is my son, this is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. With whom I am well pleased. Okay, now I have to look at the next 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4 um, because it's important that we see that what happens in that moment leads directly into this moment. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. So, So we just ended in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. This is chapter 4, verse 1. The next verse, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the next point is this, led by the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I've read this so many different times, and it's so confusing. Like, why would the Spirit lead Jesus directly into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? I think one of the things that, that we have to understand is found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet we without sin. Jesus was being prepared on the front end for what He would face for the rest of his life, for the rest of his ministry, and what he had faced up to that point. Even though we don't have a lot of stories of the thirty years of Jesus' life up to this point, we know that he was tempted. We know that he was a human man. He was fully God, but he was also fully human. He had been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And in this moment, this was was a preparatory moment for Jesus to step into what he was going to be called to do for the next three years. We talked about this last week, but Jesus is not naive to our struggle. We need to take confidence in that, that he is not some distant God but has lived the life that we are living, and he has been tempted in the ways that we have been tempted. Also, a side note to this, I um, was just having a conversation with someone A couple weeks ago and I've been super guilty of this in my own life too but they were listing off all the things that were challenging in their life at that time and their explanation for the challenges were while the enemy is really trying to put a ton of roadblocks in my life like every one of these challenges is just Satan trying to get in the way and I I 100% like we are tempted by the devil Um, the enemy tries to use the world and culture and a million different things to get in our way. But I also think it's important that we understand that not every challenge in our life comes from the enemy, that sometimes the challenges in our life actually come from the father, that the Father through the Spirit might be leading us into something. And I I don't know that it's temptation. I'm not going to get into like a theological debate on whether God tempts us or not. I don't think that God tempts us, but I do think that God will present challenges in our lives to prepare us for what life is going to look like. That there will be moments where we can lean into the power of the Holy Spirit and out of our own strength and say, Lord, I want to be stretched and I want to be grown through this moment so that I then can and be prepared for what you are going to have me do in the future. And it kind of leads us into the second part, Matthew chapter four, verse two it says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Very simple, but very, very human. And I love that because what it indicates is that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights because he wanted to be dependent on on the spirit. So the next point is this simply dependence. When Jesus who was fully human was weak and vulnerable, it required him to lean into the spirit of God that was within him to give him the power and the strength to resist what the devil was tempting him with. And like Jesus, we need to not look at our own strength and not look at our own abilities, but look for the strength that God himself has granted us. Verses three and four go on to say, then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, which is really interesting because we just heard a couple verses before, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And the enemy immediately attacks that. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So he questions the title that God has given him, the identity that God has spoken into his life. And then knowing his physical hunger says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answers, it's written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that leads us into our next point, the power of knowing the word of God. This wasn't just a product of Jesus being in tune with the spirit. That was incredibly important for him. It was incredibly important for us to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and and be aware and discerning for the leadings and the promptings of the spirit. But this is also a product of Jesus being immersed in the scriptures for 30 years, he had anchored himself to the word of God. And I want to ask the question, are we able to do that? Am I able to do that? And I would love to say that in all circumstances, I can just whip out a highly relevant verse, but I'm not there yet. There are certain verses that have anchored me for a lot of my life. And there are things that I go back to over and over and over again. I'm, I'm drawing from a deep well, but there are still so much scripture that I want to just know and have it inscribed on my heart so that when circumstances present themselves, I can just say, no, I know that that's not true because scripture says, the word of God clearly says, this is the truth that is a lie. We should have a deep desire to be formed by the word of God, so much so that it becomes common for us to think about what it says before anything else. This is what's really interesting about our lives, and and I'll, I'll use my life as an example. There are things in my life that take absolutely no effort. I I check my fantasy football lineup with zero effort. I don't even think about it. I just pick up my phone and I flip open the app and I look at my fantasy football. Or I get on TikTok or Instagram and waste 20, 30, 40 minutes and it it takes zero effort for me to do that. It is mindless. It is something that I just go to. It is something that becomes naturally to me to pick up my phone and to start scrolling through whatever it is that I'm interested in that moment. I want that to be the word of God for me. I want it to take zero effort. That instead of reaching naturally for an app or, or naturally for a distraction, that I would say, man, my first and natural reaction is to reach for the word of God and to consume it. For that to be something that speaks to my mind, that speaks to my heart every single day. And I am confident that if we anchor ourselves to that instead of anything else, we will find ourselves in places that are so much healthier than if we did not. I want to read the rest of this passage, verses 5 through 11. It says this, Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, there's that question again, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give you angels' orders concerning you. And excuse me, and he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The enemy knows scripture too, so we better know it. And he's going to try to twist that. Yet Jesus told him, it's also written, do not test the Lord, your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things. If you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord, your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. Satan, the great deceiver. Satan, the great deceiver. Satan tried to beat Jesus at his own game. He took what Jesus knew and he twisted it. He took the word of God and he twisted it. And that's often what he does with you and I, he takes the promises of God. He takes what's good, the things that God wants to offer us. And he twists it and he contorts it just to make it ugly enough to make it sinful in our lives. But here's the thing that we have to understand is that Satan is not interested in just trying to get us to sin to sin. This, that, that, that's a foolish game. His goal isn't the sin. His goal is for the sin to affect us enough to knock us off course and to knock us off our calling, to shift our focus away from Jesus has called us to do. That that yes, the enemy wants us to feel guilt and shame, but not just a little bit. He wants us to feel so much guilt and so much shame that we would disqualify ourselves from the calling of God on our lives. That we would be so distracted about what the enemy is whispering in our ears that we can no longer focus on the voice of God and what and who he is calling us to be. You see, Satan tempted Jesus right after the moment right? Right after the moment, son of God standing in the waters as the, as the, the Holy Spirit is descending upon him and the the, the father saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That is the moment, the commissioning, the sending of Jesus into ministry. And right after that is when he starts to whisper the lies and whisper the temptations. And for us we have these encounters with our Father, these these mountaintop experiences, there's things that set us ablaze in, in in our calling and we're just like, Man, I just experienced God in a new way. We just I just went to church and man, God spoke to me, or I just had a great conversation and man I'm being I'm just like set on fire. Like I'm so excited. And then all of a sudden the enemy just starts to whisper and whisper and whisper. Uh wow after our young adult retreat this last summer and then after our high school camp where a lot of our young adults served, I had multiple conversations with both high schoolers and with young adults. And they're like, man, this summer was unbelievable. Retreat was incredible. I experienced God in just an amazing way. Like I, I got away. I heard the voice of God. I, I felt called like all these things. And then people who served at high school camp are like, man, it was so cool to see God work and through my students. And and then high schoolers who were saying the same thing, like all of these things, incredible things, but multiple people said, what's crazy is that i got back from that i had this like holy moment with jesus and i was tempted and fell into temptation and sinned in ways that i have not sinned in a really long time and i'm so confused and it's because the the enemy is scared the enemy is terrified of people who encounter jesus who have those holy moments, who have those mountaintop experiences, who become vulnerable enough to surrender to Jesus. But in that vulnerability, he slides in and he starts to whisper, did that really happen? Did that really happen? Man, That was those were some really, really good days. You could probably afford to have a bad day. The enemy starts to whisper these lies. That is why we have to be anchored to God's word. That's why we have to understand that the enemy is always going to attack us after we've had incredible moments with Jesus. The enemy is scared. He's scared of people who are in tune with the leading of the spirit and he will do whatever he can to distract us from the thing that God just called us to. So how do we stay focused? We do what Jesus did. We anchor ourselves to God's word. We know it to the core of our being. We are being formed by the word of God on a regular basis. We are in tune with the spirit and we worship the Lord, our God and serve him only that we would become people who focus on the voice of God and the voice of God only, not the voice of the enemy, and would we hear not the whispers of the enemy, but only, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.